Thank you. This is part two of this recording, so please be sure to check out part one. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the stuff that I should buy with a credit card. I'm thinking I might, when I get textbooks for the fall, just get them one at a time. As soon as it gets sh shown up in my account, go in the app, boom, pay that immediately back. You know, and that's the biggest thing that, you know, I always tell people is like, if you're going to get a credit card and you're going to buy something with it, you better have something in your savings account or your checking account to pay that off. So if I have $1,000 in checking right now, you shouldn't spend your entire checking account. Like, that's kind of stupid. But um, the most that you can absolutely spend is 1000 even if your credit card limit is two grand. Like, don't spend more than 1000 because how the heck are you going to pay that off? It's 1000 Wow, that's a pretty big spending limit. It, it is a pretty big... And, you know, you build, you build up to it. Um, I think when I first got mine, I started at... I want to say 500 was my limit. Damn, I, I only have 250 <laughs> I know and, my credit card, I know my credit score is kind of bad, but jeez. <laughs> so you started off kind of low, and then you gradually build it up. Because um, the more you build it up, and you have that gap between how much you actually use the credit card versus, and we were talking about this during lunch, um, the gap between your limit versus how much you actually spend on that, the bigger that gap is the, you know, greater your ability to build your credit score is going to be. There's a specific name for it, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, so, like, right now, I think my credit card limit is uh, $2,500, if I remember correctly. Damn. But I never spend more than 100 bucks on my credit card, you know? So it's like, I keep that gap there, but, like, why would I spend $2,500 if I don't need to, you know, like it just doesn't make sense. Just because the limit is there doesn't mean that I need to do it. And I think that's what gets a lot of people. It's like, well, if I have the opportunity to do something, I might as well go and do it. It's like, well, eh, that's really not a good mindset to have. You know, you, you definitely want to have some limits on yourself. Yeah, it'd be like the housing market in 2006. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I work at McDonald's. I can get a mansion. Woohoo! Right, yeah. Um, or do you say California? They have a fifty-year mortgage. Yeah. Do you think what is that for? Is it for someone who's keeping a house with the family, or is that more for a rental unit they wanna? Well, I mean, cost of living in California is through the roof, so I definitely think that plays a factor. Um, but I, I, I really don't know, um, because I'm not well versed in that financial side of things, um, because. You know, I've lived in an apartment my entire life. Well, not my entire life, but my entire life since I graduated high school. Um, so I haven't really had the opportunity to, or haven't had the need to be able to look into that, you know, type of thing where mortgages like, uh, what kind of uh, interest rates are you looking for, that type of thing. Because, um, yeah, with inflation right now, I know that's kind of going through the roof. But eventually I got to look into that and figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah, I looked, I looked at an amortization calculator thing for that 50-year mortgage. I saw it, it was probably, after about 20 years, all you're doing is paying interest. Yep, yeah, that's, um, that's what, something that I've kind of, like, been playing with a little bit, it's just debt calculators, so I'm like, all right, if I, uh, owe this much in debt and this is the interest rate, how much will it take to pay it off if I pay, like, $300 a month and all that stuff, um, mostly because... I'm looking at once I graduate college, getting a car, 
and if I have to finance it and get like a brand new one, because right now I want to get a used car because yeah. I'm not really a car person. I don't need all the fancy fancy stuff, but um, if I have to get a new car because the car market's crap right now, it's like, why would I spend $18,000 on a used car with 70,000 miles on it? when I can just get a brand new one for an extra like three grand yeah. and you know, have zero, you know, it just makes more sense. So if I have to finance the car, um, that's something I'm looking at too. Is like, well, how much interest am I going to end up paying, you know? And it's like, is it worth that price to pay that kind of a thing? So yeah, definitely, definitely things that you want to look at. And I don't think everybody does, or if they do, they don't do it to the extent that they should. Yeah, because I think the trend that I've seen now is they try to have a low monthly payment, but just still have a longer pay period. Right. Because yeah. they'll be like, oh, you only have to pay $200 a month. It's like, oh, that sounds great. But you have to pay it for like eight years. It's yeah, like, hell no. I think if it's they say 200 for the minimum payment, shouldn't you just pay 350 something like that? You want to, if your budget can afford it, you want to pay as much as you can uh, per month. That way you can you know, get it all taken care of. You also want to see if you can pay it off early because some places they want to get your money. So they'll charge you a fee for, you know, paying it off and saying like, oh, well, that's not what we agreed on in the contract and da 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 da. So they try to get your interest in any way, shape or form that they can, you know? Um, so they end up, you know, figuring out a way to get your cash in one way or the other. So that's always something you gotta be careful about when you're kind of going into that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, the large print giveth, a small print taketh away. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Got it right on the dot right there. <laughs> Honestly, just people who do sales, you need to be a different type of person for that. It's like you need to be able to manipulate people so hard and need to be so committed to it, no matter what it is. See, I've always thought that way too. Um, but I think that if I were to ever become a salesman, and I don't think everybody has the luxury of having this option, um, is I need to get behind a product that I believe in, one. And two, I would only want to sell to somebody if I feel like they can benefit from it. Like, I'm a really big believer on figure out what the needs are of the individual or what they want or their desires and then build the product accordingly to that. So I'm less interested in selling products and I feel like you want to have your focus on selling experiences and selling emotion and selling feelings because people you know it reminds me of that quote from the office where Robert California was like it doesn't matter if you're selling you know millions of dollars of drilling equipment or you know a $25 pack of paper what people want is they want love they want respect they want to feel like they're um having their ego stroked, you know? And I feel like that's the biggest thing that you want to consider when we're talking about sales is, you know, how are you making that other person feel at the end of the day? Like, you're not selling a car. You're selling them freedom. You're selling them status above their peers. You're um, selling them a sense of, I've made it. I have the American dream, you know? And if you can hit those points, I feel like that's what you know, a good salesman really does. Um, now then you got the really skeevy guys that try to, you know, upsell you and um, they'll, you know, layer things in that they don't tell you about. Like, we were trying to buy a car the other day and, um, well, my parents were and there's this one individual who 
Um, so yeah, the car is going to cost like, it should have been like 22, 23, but they were pricing it at 28 because they're like, oh, well, we're going to throw this protective paint on you. That's pretty standard. Uh, we're going to throw these anti-collision lights on there and all this other crap. And it's like, we were building the car. So it wasn't like they had a car in the lot. Like we were going to order it from the factory custom build it but we're gonna do the base model so what is it build a car workshop and Jesus yeah Lord. pretty much so we were like if we were building the car we shouldn't need to have all this extra stuff if we don't want it and the guy kept saying like well i don't know if i can do that or not um, we'll see it's like all right well yes you can but you're just trying to screw us over so see ya so we ended up walking from that deal because you know skeevy guy like you said salespeople can be very manipulative so it's like you know what we're just gonna end the contract or end our negotiations like if you want to play the game that's fine you can play with somebody else but you're not going to play with us like we know exactly what we want walking in and here's what we're asking for and if you want to try to screw around that's your choice we're not going to play that way yeah because at my job we're trying to find a permanent recruiter and thing is one of the people that we had come in she did a little bit of recruit, but she mostly had a background in sales. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we're not trying to sell jobs here. We're just trying to make sure we're honest so people stick around for a while. Right, right, absolutely. I think there's uh, different skills that come with being a salesman. Um, because you want to make the position attractive, right? You want people to work uh, at the job that you're offering, but you also want to give them a reason to work there. Because there's, I mean, with the market right now, it's, it's very much... Uh, in favor of the laborers. So uh, individuals kind of have a lot of choice with where they want to go. So they have more discretion than they have had in the past to be able to make those decisions accordingly. And the with that, you know, jobs have to become more attractive to individuals. Like why should I work at company A versus company B versus company C? And honestly, having a sales background isn't the worst thing because you're able to sell that job. And again, it's really just about finding what's the motivation of individuals as they're looking for jobs. What, what do they want? Um, are they just in it for the paycheck? Do they want a good company culture? Do they want um, great benefits? Like what are they looking for? Do they want upward mobility? Um, do they want a fast paced environment? So, like there's so many different factors and it's just identify what that person wants and then match it to the needs of the company. And if you can do that, like that's how you find your, your best matches for workers and what really you want to look for for the best fit of the company. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, you said that it was more for the labor. I feel like that would be good for the experienced labor. When it comes to just starting out, I feel like it's really bad. I, I mean, so. I feel like if you've worked at different companies or industries long enough, you have more leverage, you can say. Mm -hmm. But when you're just starting out, thing is they say that they want to hire people were desperate for people mm -hmm. but if you don't have the experience that they want you to have you're pretty much out of luck or if they have a bunch of different applicants such as if there's a job where there's a hundred different applicants sure the market might be in your favor as you say mm -hmm. but it's not in your specific favor uh i mean i there's it depends what kind of job you're going for i think there's some variability that comes with that i know I just uh, finished an internship working in higher education advancement, and um, to your point, it, what you just said is very accurate within that specific career field. So 
it's really hard to get your foot in the door. There's a lot of applications, um, and it's very, very difficult, but they have high turnover and they need a lot of people. Um, but once you get your foot in the door and once you get that experience, it is so easy to stay within it, you know, but it's just getting that initial point of contact or that initial, um, here's what, you know, here's my base experience. Here's how it started out, that type of thing. And it's just getting over that hurdle. So, you know, it just, it definitely depends on the, you know, career and what you're going for. Cause it, if you're being like, oh, just a manufacturing factory job, um, easy enough to get one of those. But if you're going for more like office work, if you're going for admin, um, that type of thing, then it definitely gets a lot more difficult because they do want that, you know, experience, um, you know, as you're making decisions, as you're forming policies, um, and that type of thing. So I do agree with you, but to to an extent <laughs> there's the caveat that comes along with yeah definitely there are plenty of other jobs where it's just hard because when I was in my never ending job search I started applying to do front desks at hotels uh-huh. even then with those there were 20 to 40 applicants mm-hmm. and yeah there's one 30 year old who's done it for 10 years or whatever I mean I have no chance I can't say a chance against them uh, I mean, not necessarily, it, it depends what they're looking for, um, because I know there's some individuals who, you know, experience isn't the end-all be-all, and they're looking for uh, different things from their individuals that they're employing, so it, it really just kind of depends on the company culture and um, what they're seeking out. I know experience is usually, you know, a pretty hefty deciding factor but there are cases where people are overqualified <laughs> oh, yeah. for the job and we're not going to hire you because you know what it, we just don't feel comfortable giving that position to somebody with that level of experience and it's like if you're in this position for the amount of experience you have you really should be thinking about upward mobility or why aren't you in a supervisor position like why are you where you're at right now and there's you know there's definitely different factor because like experience could play a negative impact on you you getting a job like um education uh, this is the example i always throw out because it's just so mind-boggling to me but it's true where if you get your master's degree right after you get your undergrad before having any teaching experience you will not get a job because schools have to pay you usually about two thousand dollars higher depending on the district if you have a master's degree because you're more educated and you're more qualified. As a principal, am I going to hire a brand new teacher from undergrad or from a master's degree if they both um, don't have teaching experience? I'm gonna choose the undergrad because I get to pay them $2,000 less, right? So more academic experience, but it ends up being disfavorable in trying to find a job. Because people are like, I don't want to pay an extra two grand when I don't have to, you know, if I'm looking at the bottom line. So uh, th- there are instances where, you know, you have too much experience and it ends up screwing you over in the long run, which you wouldn't think that would be the case. But, you know, surprisingly, it, it is. Yeah, companies, they are always trying to cut costs because I was thinking because a lot of people are wondering why their lunch breaks aren't paid for. 
because people are typically, if they work over six and a half hours for a shift, they need to have a 30-minute break. However, a lot of companies, they choose not to give that person the break, mainly because, well, they'll give them the break, they won't pay it, mm-hmm. mainly because they're not technically working. But right. the way I see it is it has to be duty-free, where if you start your break, from the time you start to the time you finish, no work stuff should be allowed. Right. And I think, um, well, I think what ends up happening is we, within American culture, are socialized through our jobs. So the way we interact with individuals and build connections and build rapport and that type of thing, a lot of it is based on the work that we do. Um, Whenever you have a conversation with somebody, usually the first thing that comes out of their mouth, if you're meeting them for the first time, hey, what's your name? My name's so-and-so. Oh, that's cool. What do you do for a living? Your mom. (laughs) So it's usually that's how you introduce yourself. That's how you build an identity. Um, That's how you um, distinguish your role in society is through your work, right? So when we talk about having lunch and you're having lunch with coworkers or um, uh, just with random individuals, it's a slippery slope because if you have a corporate policy that says, you know, hey, we're not going to pay you, but we also have the expectation that you're not going to do any work, like that's great. But at the same time, we are also socialized through work a lot of times. So inherently, even though we don't have to, we end up talking about work and we end up talking about, you know, the different responsibilities and things that we have. And eventually the conversation turns towards, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. And you end up working (laughs) and um, doing some things here and there, even though you don't have to, just by nature of the way that we interact with each other. So um, I think that, as workers, individuals have to take a greater stand of saying, like, we are having a hard limit during that break time. Of If I'm on break and I don't want to talk about work, then I am not going to talk about work. But it's hard for people because they don't always know how to engage with somebody else that's in the room besides that. Because that's what you know, unites individuals at a corporation. That's how you socialize people is by finding common ground. Yeah. If you don't know them, the only common ground you know is the fact that you work at the same company. Yeah. So what are you naturally going to talk about? Work, right? So it's, it's figuring out how do we get individuals to talk to each other without talking about work. I think if we can jump over that hurdle, then we can get to the point where, um, individuals can take lunch breaks and not have to worry about actually working during the lunch breaks. I think that's the biggest thing that we have to overcome.